Well, good morning. Good morning. So just as an interesting way to start, I, I just want to express uh, a sense of gratitude for you all being here this morning. Uh, I know that we do this often, but at the same time, we have somebody intruding on my space here. But often we forget that we do take time to come out and that we are a church. And by the fact that we all gather, I'm very grateful. We should be grateful that each of us have taken the time, the moment, the preparation, the hoarding of our kids, everything else that we need to, to come together to worship the Lord as a fellowship, as a church, as a community. So today we are continuing our series in the church in the last days. However, before we jump in to fellowship and breaking of bread, I think it's a good thing for us to review where we've traveled so far. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, due to a snowstorm, um, Jonathan, as you remember, started us off challenging us as a church of how we think about the things that we think about, that we think about. Did I get that right? I think I got that right. <clears throat> John Piper, in his book, appropriately named Think, said, thinking and knowing are given to us by God for the purpose of loving God and loving people. We should be different in the way that we think about things because we are followers of Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, the good and pleasing. Last week, Timothy reinforced this fact by saying that how often we actually define reality by what we feel. We get things a little mixed up. We love to dwell into this expressive individualism of what I feel therefore, is true. Rather than that, we should be thinking correctly from the Word of God. Next week, we will be jumping into the book of Revelation and looking at the churches that Jesus Christ is exhorting, admonishing, and correcting. Today, we're in Acts chapter 2. Now, I know I'm not the only one what do these things all have in common? Thinking rightly, Acts chapter 2 and the churches in Revelation. Well, specifically, as we look at the correlation between Acts chapter 2 and Revelation, we see in Acts chapter 2, obviously, the beginning of the church in a phenomenal, dramatic way. And it highlights their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. What we see, I think we will see, in Revelation are churches that have failed or ceased to do the things that the original church was doing. And we correlate those together. So today, <clears throat> jumping right into our main idea, 
Now, I've boasted in the fact that I often do not build my own slides of original thought. So this one right here, you'll see is very similar to what Timothy had. Local churches, we are called together to think and behave differently than the world around us because we commune with the Lord and with each other. I'd like to pray before we begin, though, just the task of this word coming forward. So, Father, thank you for this morning again <clears throat> that we can gather. Lord, you've told us that you have made known to us the path of life. And in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I pray, Father, that as we study your word this morning, that you would infuse in our hearts a joy and our love for you in new ways and love for one another. Help us to think rightly. Help us to honor you in all ways. In Jesus' name I pray. If you would turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. As we look today in our scripture, we want to think rightly around what specifically today, fellowship and breaking of bread. One commentary stated that this passage is fairly easy to understand. It's often challenging to decipher exactly how we apply it. I think, I know that I have erred on these two sides. Sometimes it's too simple for us to say, gee, the answer is really all we need to do is get back to the early church. If we could just get back to the early church, man, it would be phenomenal. On the other side, though, we've said it's probably just too simple because we're not in Jerusalem, we're not like that, different people different context, different time. We're not even Jewish. So we can err on both sides of those. We need to put our minds grounded in God's word and see where he's taking us, our church. So where are we going today? First of all, we're going to look at a little context. And secondly, we're going to look at the four foundational building blocks of fellowship as it's described, as the words are used in Scripture. And then we're going to look at four characteristics of fellowships, and then we're going to see how should we as a church respond. We need to look at the context of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were devoted... Actually, the Greek word has this sense of ongoing. They were continually devoting themselves. This wasn't a one and done. Jesus came, appeared miraculously through the Holy Spirit and the apostles. We heard them in all these different languages, and we're going to celebrate once. No, they were continually. They were holding steadfast. They were ongoing. 
We see this word devoted used in other places. Acts chapter 6, we see it with the elders is saying, but we will devote ourselves. We will continue ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. And then this one we all love. And for this reason you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. And then one that seems a little bit interesting, Mark chapter 3, verse 9. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush them. To have ready is the same word as to be devoted, ongoing and readiness. Now, don't you wish you were there at the early church? I mean, you're coming in for what would be yet another Passover meal. We think we know what we're expecting. We're meeting all our friends. We're coming. It's long travel. We're getting everything set up. And all of a sudden, we see these people, and they're sharing this gospel, this new message to us in languages that I can hear adding thousands of people all at once, crying out, what should we do? I mean, this was dramatic. This was glorious. Why wouldn't they be devoted? Yeah. What really was dramatic and glorious is oftentimes we look at some of our conversion experiences and we go, you know, I, Man, that was a dramatic conversion experience. And then there are those like me that the Lord seemed to be patient, take his time. Then there are those who came to Christ early as children, and it wasn't dramatic. At least we think so. But wait. The dramatic, glorious part here wasn't that they all came to Jerusalem and just heard these people. This same glorious, dramatic event is what rescued you, what rescued me, what has taken me out of the domain of darkness and into his marvelous light. It is, as Jonathan said this morning, the fact, the glorious, dramatic event that we are safe and forgiven because God, and he's called us together we often can look at this early church and these dramatic mountaintop experiences and go, oh, that was great. I came to Christ when I was four. No, no, he came to Christ. He intersected your life, saved you and brought you into a fellowship. So, as any good, okay, never mind. We're going to start with a definition. Need to define some terms here. So, a little lengthy. Biblical fellowship, as described in the Christian context, refers to a deep and meaningful communion among believers based on shared faith and values. It goes beyond casual social interactions involves a spiritual connection and mutual support. In the Bible, 
Fellowship is often emphasized as a vital aspect of the Christian community. It involves believers coming together in unity, sharing their lives, prayers, resources, and experiences. What do you think about that? <clears throat> Not meaning to boast, but that took me all of about four and a half seconds to write. Simply logged into chat GPT. <clears throat> I said, please write a summary of biblical fellowship. <clears throat> there it is. Why do I bring that up? Just because. Notice ChatGPT and society. What is missing in there? There's no mention of God whatsoever. There is no mention of Jesus Christ by which we have this fellowship. It is subtle. How do we think about what we think about fellowship? Now, there's nothing wrong with some of these things. I mean, it is more than social interaction. And it is for mutual support. But the subtlety of the way that we can fall into the pattern of the world's thinking is just, just water this down a little bit. So how is fellowship defined in the Bible? Fellowship is defined with the word koinonia. Koinonia denotes community, joint participation, sharing in, distribution, partnership. As Timothy said last time, English is very sloppy sometimes. As I spent time preparing, I noticed that the word fellowship was used in many contexts and many ways and in different situations. So today, though, um, it came to me in four different areas where we see fellowship, building blocks of fellowship. Number one, it is relational. Number two, it is missional, meaning it has a purpose. Number three, it involves sharing. And number four, celebrating and remembering. So let's dive into those. Relational. First John 1 3. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us, Koinonia, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now we know what was it that John has seen and heard. It's the same thing that John writes about in the Gospel of John that we've studied. It is the word that was in the beginning. It was the word was with God, the word that was God, who came in the flesh and dwelt among us. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This idea of fellowship, this idea of communion, it's just not communion to anything. It's communion to a person. It's communion to God, it's communion to his son, and it's communion amongst ourselves. We have communion amongst ourselves because we have communion with Jesus Christ and the Father. 
Wait a minute, did, did, you, did you really catch that? This is the very God that we sang about, the God of the universe, the creator of life, all breath, all solution, otherly, holy. We have communion with this God. We get to share in him, with him, participate. Fellowship transcends physical. The other thing that's interesting to me that is that we do have fellowship. Notice those verses. We do have fellowship. We are a community if you've embraced the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in fellowship. The question then becomes, just like a lot of the other promises we have, are we living like it? We are no longer slaves to sin. But sometimes we still live like we're slaves to sin. We do have fellowship, brothers and sisters. It is by nature of who God is and what he's done. We have fellowship and community and commonality. Second thing is fellowship has a purpose. Now, every week we sit in this room with banners to our right and to our left, depending upon which way you're facing. And when they change them, it really messes me up. <clears throat> we are pursuing Jesus together, community together. Why are we doing this? Our mission and our purpose, exalting God. Isaiah 26, 8. In the NIV, it says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desires of our hearts. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, Paul goes on and says, In this we always pray for you that God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire for good and your work produced by faith. Why? so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified. Our purpose as a community, as a fellowship, is first and foremost to exalt God. <clears throat> Oops, sorry. Edifying the church. There's so many passages we go through here in the one another's, a couple that stuck out to me. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership, koinonia, in the gospel from the first day until now. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. One of our favorites that I think most of us know, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. I would suggest that Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, while a critical passage to, incur, to encourage us to gather together as a church on Sunday morning, I believe this meeting together as we see 
from Acts is more than simply just once a week. Where else can we stir up one another? And finally, evangelizing the world, Matthew 28. While you're going, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them all that I have told you to do. <clears throat> Colossians 1.28, kind of an inverse of this about disciples making. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may be, present everyone mature. Our fellowship, notice that these things are written to a church. Individually, yes, we should be doing these things. But as a church, as a fellowship, as a community, these are the things that we should be doing. We don't simply exist inside these walls. We exist to proclaim the gospel outside of these walls. It's relational. It's missional. It involves sharing. Most of the time that you see koinonia used in the New Testament involves this idea of either sharing in or sharing with. Acts 2, 44-45, the extension of this passage that we read. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and their property and distributed. That word distributed is actually koinonia. Distributed the proceeds to all as all had need. Romans 15, 25, Paul writes, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution. Koinonia is that term for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8, 4. They begged earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry. Koinonia, fellowship, community. I, I read that and I said, well, when was the last time that I begged to share in the ministry with others? When was that something that was just riled up that, oh, please, pick me, Lord, I want to do this. I, I often do things probably more under compulsion. Sharing in or sharing with in a community, in a fellowship like ours, assumes that it's more than me. Right? Together, kind of requires more than one. There's two sides of this coin. It doesn't all rest on my shoulders, or your shoulders for that matter. There are other people here to care for the load in sharing and loving people. That's what's sharing. On the other side, it doesn't belong all on my shoulders. This is not mine. I don't possess this ministry. We don't own that. Now, a little side note, just as we share ministries together, I was challenged by a couple of times in my quiet time. We come from different personalities, different backgrounds, 
different abilities, different cultures, whatever. Church, we need to be patient and humble and kind with one another as we share in the ministry that the Lord has given us to do. It's relational. It's missional. It's sharing. Celebrating and remembrance. So what do we do with this term breaking of bread? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, we are very grateful for all of the translation communities that have worked together, but don't you just wish one time they would just all kind of agree? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, comma, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and breaking in bread, comma, and prayers. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. Man, we could go down into the weeds on that. Timothy gave me an extra hour this morning. The key point, again, just to circle us back, hang to this one. They were together. Yeah, okay, that still doesn't answer the question, what do we do with this breaking of bread? Well, I think if you look at the breaking of bread, there are two schools of thought. One is that the breaking of bread is merely a descriptor an elaboration of fellowship. And the reason I say that is if you look at Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. I think Jonathan brought this up. They actually, in this culture at that time, sharing a meal together was a big deal. It was commonplace. It was cultural. Not just the Jews. We know about our feasts. If you want more about that, you can see Ben Jock's wonderful illustration about all the feasts. But the Romans were into feasting. The Greeks were into feasting. This idea of sharing a meal together, and we know this when we do it, it drops our guard. It brings a camaraderie, a safety, hosting, not to mention food, right? Ecclesiastes, many places, says, go eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. As Jonathan mentions, when they got together after they were all brought together at the bottom of Mount Sinai and they ate. Nehemiah, as we've studied in the past, they were mourning and weeping over their sin. And Nehemiah and Ezra said, stop. It's not a time for that. It's a time to celebrate. Go home and go enjoy meals together. 
However, as I studied this word koinonia, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not koinonia? Sharing in the blood of Christ, the bread that we break, is it not sharing in the body of Christ? So is the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2, 42, talking about sharing meals or the breaking of bread? Now, if you're like me, as a project manager and engineer, I don't like ambiguity. I really would like to have just one answer in this case. I am an either or, or only kind of guy. I think what we see here, though, is a both and. Having said that, though, I believe in this particular passage, the heavy leaning is on sharing meals together. I am so thankful that we as a church <clears throat> do get together every month and celebrate the Lord's table together. And that is community. That is ultimately fellowship as we celebrate and remember, and Paul admonishes, and we proclaim him until he comes. We have that in our schedule. And I've had the opportunity over the past month, which is unusual, that people have told me, oh, getting together as a communion was such an uplifting experience and brought me to a place where I needed to be. So I'm really grateful for that. It kind of opened my eyes a little bit. <clears throat> but I want to encourage us that while we have a schedule, we have a focus, we look forward to the once-a-month communion. Do we have the same enthusiasm and schedule for sharing meals with one another. My gut tells me that this is an area, this is not to meant to be a um, a discouragement to us, but rather an encouragement to live. What a joy it is to have meals together. Think about these people that saw the Lord come down and change their lives. They couldn't help but get together and go to house to house and have meals. How much more, again, has our life been dramatically changed? Are we sharing meals together? four building blocks of fellowship and community. It's relational. It's distinctively Christian because it's relational with the Lord God. It's missional. We have a purpose to exalt his name and to glorify him. It's sharing in with him and with each other. And it's a time for us to celebrate and remember. So as we turn a little corner, what are the characteristics, the attributes? What does it look like? <clears throat> now, I 
I need to give a little bit of credit where this is coming from. The inspiration for this slide came from Nathan, who was taking a seminary class. And the class is Life and Community. And he wrote a summary of what life and community was about. And these are some highlights. These are the things that really stuck out to me. Number one, fellowship, biblical community, <clears throat> takes effort. It just doesn't happen. This depth, this intertwining of our lives and our purposes and our hopes and our love for the Lord just doesn't happen. We need to deny ourselves. And that's sometimes why it doesn't happen, because I don't deny myself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Now, I understand that there are times and periods in our lives where schedules conflict, and that's not what we're talking about. I think we all know that. <clears throat> but there's an element that we need to work at it. We need to be purposeful. I mean, we're even purposeful about how we got here. I mean, we all had a schedule of how we had to get out the door and all that. Secondly, it is characterized by love. John 13, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <clears throat> By extension, how do people know that we are a fellowship, in fellowship, in community? Is it because they see us on Sunday morning all driving into this building? Is that what it is? Jesus is confronting the disciples and saying, this is what will show us that you are my disciples, is that you love one another. You before me. A community and a fellowship that is driven out of a relationship with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who loved us so much that he gave his only son, is driven, should be characterized by love for one another. This doesn't mean we have to always agree. Frankly, it doesn't always mean we have to like each other. But it means we need to love one another. Third, compassion. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, the ones who have been called in to fellowship, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone is grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. A thriving supportive, living, fellowship church has compassion. We grieve with those who grieve. We rejoice with those who are celebrating. 
We understand differences. We understand the hardships that people are going, and we don't simply put them aside. God-honoring, God-driven, God-founded fellowship is compassionate. And finally, it is one of service. Early in the chapter in John, Jesus got up from the supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself, poured water and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Fellowship is not simply just so that we can gather, but it is as we gather, we should be serving one another, denying ourselves, looking out for the interest of others. Fellowship is outward, outward of me. Community is outward of me. It is outward of us. So what do we do with all this? So if we wrap back around where we started, what are some of the false thinking that we have about fellowship and community? So just two questions about that. This came up in my mind as I was often pondering what I think about fellowship. First, I can only have fellowship with people I know well. I can only have fellowship with people I know well. Now, don't get me wrong. Knowing one another is important. Getting into the lives of one another and what they're experiencing in their families is very important. But I know that I sometimes feel like I really can't fellowship and I can't bring up deep things of God unless I know these people really well. I don't think we see that. If we look at Acts chapter 2 as our prototype, these people were from the regions all over. They didn't even speak the same language. But they came together to boast about God, to share what God is doing, to tell God's story. I had to challenge myself, when was the last time I told somebody a God story, what he's doing? I am so blessed. There is a person who will, name, who will be nameless, who comes into our bookstore occasionally, just to say hi. And it never fails that when this person does, there is a God story coming out of her mouth. This is what God did. You know what? I prayed about that. This is what I did. Does this person actually need to know everything about me? My height, my weight, what I do for a living, what all that kind of stuff? No. The God story came out. Faulty thinking. I need to know everybody really well before I have fellowship with them. Second false thought. Fellowship is only initiated by those who are outgoing and extroverts. See, the chuckle's already happening. We probably already know this one. God's stories. What is God doing? God worked in your life whether you are an extrovert. It had nothing to do with you. 
It had nothing to do with me, so why am I hesitant to think it has something to do with me, and can I articulate this perfectly? No. Fellowship has nothing to do and should not be constrained by whether or not I'm outgoing. Now, I understand. I'm not trying to be callous here. We do have different personalities that were God-given. But I just, I kind of want to turn that up a little bit, just that we wouldn't allow that to constrain us from having fellowship with one another. So two encouragements to us. Invite people over for a meal. Go out to lunch with people. I understand, again, there are times, there are places. Oh, if you've seen our house, if you've seen our kids and what they do to our living room, if you see, we're your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have to impress us. And if you don't want to, Red Robin's cleaned up everything for us. We can go there instead. But I would encourage us, and I'm trying to encourage myself, that we should take the admonition and the prototype of the early church to fellowship in a way that involves sharing of a meal, being together, rather than waiting for Sunday morning. And finally, when we do get together, now, please hear me. I am not against getting together to watch the Detroit Lions. For most of you know that I was old enough to see the last time they were here. <laughs> Social interactions, friendship is needed. It is God-given as well. But I think we miss something. When we get together and the majority, if not all, of our time really doesn't involve bringing up the Lord or the God stories. There's no magic formula that I can call it fellowship if I say God in our conversation. It's not that simple. But at the same time, just our life is hidden in Christ. Everything we have is because of him. Why, I, I'm talking to myself, why am I so hesitant that it's easier to talk about the weather and than rather just saying, you know what, today God really blessed me by being in his word. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's loving, it's encouraging. I encourage church, we need to do more of that. We need to bless one another by doing that. We need to bless ourselves truthfully by doing that. We grow as we share about that. Fellowship or community was created by the Lord for his purposes while satisfying our need for belonging. We participate, we build, we work at, fellowship and community by together being devoted to God's word, sharing our lives with one another, celebrating and remembering the Lord, and praying with and for each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you, Father, of your encouragement that for some reason you want to commune with us. For some reason, in your grace, and your mercy, you loved us so that you allow us to partake and share the sweet blessings and taste and see that you are good. I pray, Father, by your grace and your love that you would help us as a church grow in this, grow in our love for one another, grow in our compassion, grow in our fellowship and sharing of what you are doing. May we bless you in the way that we do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand together and hear the word of blessing from our Lord. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen.